rather than the, uh, the mic around the back of your head. You'd think with ears like these it would work quite well for uh, one of those microphones, but it doesn't, I tell you. They ping off all over the place, so uh, brilliant. Why, why don't we stand on our feet? When it's warm like this, it's always good to get the blood circulating to make sure that no one dozes off during the preach, because that's very rude, you know. So uh, why, why don't you... Um, with the person next to you, assuming you know them fairly well, if you don't, introduce yourself to the person next to you. Why don't you just pray for them that they will be lively, full of the Holy Spirit, open to the Word of God, not miss an ounce of what's going on over the next 30 minutes, that God would powerfully speak into their lives. So why don't you just uh, pray for one another? If you're visiting and you've never prayed before, why don't you just watch? Brilliant. Why don't we take a seat? Just, you know, just a word of advice. Um, If you have a look at these two big fans um, either side, I reckon what you should be able to do is try and line yourself up in line with them. So there's one coming across at an angle that way, and there's one going right up the middle of the aisle there. So certainly people on the edges of the aisle should be getting a decent draft. So if you're a little bit warm, feel free to move where you can get... um, Front row actually is really good for getting a lot of air movement. So feel free to sort of move during the preach um, if that is helpful uh, to you. My name is Paul. I'm one of the pastors here at King's. And it's my privilege today. I'm going to be speaking on the whole subject of justice. And uh, if on the back of the preach you would like to learn a little bit more, you'd like to consider this whole subject of justice in a little bit more detail, I'd recommend a book called Generous Justice by Tim Keller. It's well worth a a read. He he is an interesting reader. He will provoke you and stir you. And he certainly, uh, as I've been reading him over the last week or so, I've found it um, incredibly uh, uh, challenging. Now, the need for justice is hardwired into us. It's, it's, it's just there, particularly if we face injustice. That's when we so often notice it more, you know. We, we, we're sort of just poodling along in life, totally happy. We face a situation where we personally feel there's an injustice and suddenly... The need for justice comes alive to us in a particular way. I can remember a few years ago driving up through France on the motorways and coming to one of those toll gates where you have to pay a toll to go on the motorway. And we'd been queuing up for about 15, 20 minutes in the, in the sort of, uh, in southern France, absolute scorching heat. We were two or three cars from the toll and some bloke in his white convertible car, drives between the queues of traffic and decides that I look like easy pickings to squeeze in front of me um, and take my place in the queue. Now, now for me personally, it's only going to delay me by about 60 seconds, but I am having none of it. I'm not putting up with this injustice. If I have been in the queue for 15 minutes 
scorching and sweating and all of that stuff. There's no way I'm going to have some rather relaxed French person in his convertible white car driving up and taking my spot. And it was amazing the lengths I would go to to make sure he wouldn't get in front of me. I mean, I've never been that close. I reckon it was millimetres the cars were away from each other before, in the end, he won and I lost. And, and, but then, then, you know, that sense of injustice? I drive through the toll road, and, I, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian, but I, 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 I couldn't help but feel, oh, Lord, if only he could be broken down at the side of the road... Only, if, no, only for the half an hour, you know, that he's saved by jumping the queue. It is amazing, isn't it? Just that, just the sense of injustice, how quickly that, that rises up. Or, you know, I've got four boys and I reckon it's probably a daily comment, it's not fair. It's not fair. It's, it's, it would be a daily thing that we hear. But, but, it's, but, but it's also a really powerful activator. You know, when we face injustice, people will, are willing to go through massive long fights in order to get real change. A newspaper headline that I read recently, um, it says this, my dad died at Hillsborough, I'll never stop fighting for justice. Now, Hillsborough was 30 years ago. But this person, I am fighting for justice. William Wilberforce, a couple of hundred years ago, spent decades fighting against the injustice of slavery. And he would not give up until he saw the law change. It can be a good thing, it can be a bad thing. But what I do notice with us, even though we're Christians, is our sense of justice can still very much be tainted by sin. Just like any other area of our life, if we're not careful when it comes to fairness or rightness or justice, we can so often be still tainted by sin. And that's often expressed by the fact that we are more concerned about justice for ourselves or justice for those that are near to us, part of our family group, those that look like us, sound like us, have the same values. We often will fight for justice or feel justice is important in those situations, but maybe don't have the same energy or desire to see justice among people or situations that we cannot relate to so closely. So we're going to look at what the Bible has to say about justice. What is on God's heart when it comes to justice? And I want to look at it under three um, simple headings. Firstly, justice, what is it? Secondly, justice, a characteristic of God. And then thirdly, justice and the people of God. And if we want to find out what justice is, the best place to go is the Bible. You know, all too often, and, and, and I can do it as well, you know, I, I think this about this, or I feel that this is right, and, and that's all right, but actually about any situation we want to learn about, the starting place should always be the Bible. In the Old Testament, there was a prophet called Micah. He lived about 700 years before the birth of Christ, um, and he came, he was sent by God to bring a challenge to Judah, the southern kingdom. Now, during Micah's lifetime, the northern kingdom, Israel, gets carried away into exile. 
And Judah will follow in their footsteps if they do not change their ways. They are not living in a way that pleases God. They need to change their ways. And the area that they're getting wrong is not public worship or sacrifices or prayers or even fasting. Those things, they're doing all right at. But in Micah 6 verse 8 it says this. He has told you, O man or woman, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness. The NIV says actually to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. And it's really interesting that if you want to walk with God, and I've never preached this before, but if you want to walk with God, yes, you need to pray. Yes, you need to read your Bible and you need to be a worshipper and you need to be part of the community of God. Those things are all right. But actually, in Micah 6 verse 8, what is it that Micah highlights? If you want to walk with God, you need to do now, I, you know, just, I'm fearful that this could be a world record because I've only been preaching for 10 minutes. And I'm worried that some of you are already asleep, okay? So I'm just going to look for a bit more response here. So what is it that we need to do if we want to walk humbly before God? We need to do, we need to do justice, to walk, to love mercy, to walk humbly with our God. Now, the Hebrew term for this is mishvat. And it occurs nearly 200 times in, his, in the Old Testament. In the most basic meaning, it's to treat people with, um, uh, oh, I'm going to get this wrong, equitably. equitably. <laughs> Natalie, you're not meant to laugh at the preacher, particularly. Okay, I'm just going to say, you're to be fair and impartial. Okay, I can say those words. You are to be fair and impartial in your dealings with people. And we're to treat everyone that way, not just people like us. So when it comes to justice, I don't think most of us have a problem when it comes to us, when it comes to people who are like us, but the Bible says we are to treat people with um, fairness and an impartial manner, regardless of who they are, because they're made in the image of God, and they are therefore to be treated with dignity and respect. That is everyone. Now, I just want to provoke you. Because it says this in Leviticus 24 verse 22. Okay? You are to have the same law for the foreigner and the native born. I am the Lord your God. So for instance, in the rule of law... You ought to have the same law regardless of ethnicity. Neither of those two. Now there are two sides to justice. One is an acquitting or a punishing every person on the merits of their case. And that's often more what we think about. But in the Bible, justice is much more about restorative justice. Giving people their rights. It says in Proverbs 31 verse 9, Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Seeking out the vulnerable and helping them. 
Some may call that charity. You know, I'm going to help someone in a needier situation than me. But God doesn't call it charity. He calls it justice. Seeking out the vulnerable and the needy, helping them. This isn't justice. It's not optional. Sorry. This isn't charity. It's not optional. It's justice. And it's not that the rich don't deserve justice. They do. But the rich, more often than not, can get it for themselves. They can hire legal counsel. They can make a complaint to the ombudsman. They can take someone to court. They can stand up for their rights. But there are different segments of our community who cannot do that. They cannot speak up for themselves. They cannot make a complaint. They may not just have the ability to do that. In the Bible, there's a quartet of vulnerable that God is particularly interested to find justice. It says in Zechariah 7, verse 9 and 10, This is what the Lord Almighty said. Administer true justice. Miss that. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor, Do not plot evil against each other. This is what the Lord requires of you. And he still does today. It may have been written 700 years ago, but it's still as relevant today. What does God require of you? That you administer true justice. That you don't oppress the widow or the single parent. That you stand up for them when they don't have a voice for themselves. The orphan or the child with the absent or abusive parent. We have a role to play standing up for them, standing in for them. For the foreigner or for the immigrant that doesn't stand the language or the system but comes and makes their home among us. We have, a right, we have a responsibility as the people of God <coughs> to help those who do not have a voice, to stand up for those who cannot stand up for themselves. This is what we're called to do. What does the Lord require of you? That you'd walk humbly before God. What does it walk, look like to walk humbly? To do justice. To do justice. What does it look like for you to do justice? Thanks, John. When we do not care for those that cannot stand up for themselves, it isn't a lack of charity, it's a violation of justice. I want to reframe this because I think some of us, many of us, including myself up until preparing this, I thought of it much more about, well, it's it's charity to help. No, no, it's a violation of justice when we don't. When we don't get involved, when we don't make a difference. Courageously making other people's problems my problems. That's what we need to do. I'll say it again. Courageously making other people's problems my problems, even if I don't totally relate to them. This is what I'm called to do. 
isn't it what Jesus did for me? Did Jesus have a sin problem? Was Jesus going to hell? Was Jesus in a hopeless situation? No. But he courageously made my problem his problem, stepped into my shoes and made a difference. We as his people, called to be his ambassadors, to step into other people's shoes and make a difference for them. So one of the reasons we stand up for the vulnerable is because they're made in the image of God. Another reason that we stand up for the vulnerable, that we seek justice, is because God does. Justice is a characteristic of the God that we worship, the one we were singing to this morning. In Deuteronomy 32 verse 4, it says he is the God of justice. In Psalm 89, it says that God is enthroned on justice. In Jeremiah 9, it says that God delights and practices justice. In Psalm 10, he brings justice for the vulnerable. In Psalm 33, he loves justice. In Psalm 103, he works justice for the oppressed. In Isaiah 5, he is exalted in justice. And in Deuteronomy 10, verse 17 and 18, and I think those words are there, Laura. It says this, For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great and mighty and awesome one, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. Isn't that odd? Why on earth are they the first words? You know, the Lord of lords and the King of kings, he shows no partiality. He accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow. And he loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. Isn't it interesting that God is described as being one who defends these groups of people? I don't know if you've ever thought about that. You know, when someone comes to... When I introduce myself to someone, I, I, I may say, well, look, my, my name is Paul, and I, I'm, a pa- I'm one of the pastors at King's Church. And it's not that King's Church is the only thing that I do, but it's a big part of who I am. It's a big part of what I do. It takes a lot of my time. It's a big part of me. When God is defining who he is here, I am the Lord your God, the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the great God, the mighty and awesome one who defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow. Straight away, right in there. He's not associating with the kings of Israel or the kings of Judah. He's not saying, I, I, you know, I, I am the Lord God who, who relates to Donald Trump, the president, or Theresa May, the prime minister, or some, you know, Bill Gates, the great businessman. No, I defend the cause of the orphan and the widow. Have you noticed that? This this is the great and the mighty God. I come down, I stoop down. And I don't even relate with the great and mighty of this world. I relate to the most vulnerable in your communities. Tim Keller says this, God loves and defends those with the least economic and social power. And so should we. That is what it means to do justice and it's not just God the father who's like that think about Jesus what 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 sort of things what sort of things define who he is he associated with this socially ostracized in Matthew 9 he raised the son of a poor widow in Luke 7 
He showed care and respect to an immoral woman, a social outcast in Luke 7. He showed special concern for children in Luke 18. Disciples said, oh, send them away. You've not got time for children, Jesus. No, no. The smallest, the least. He healed lepers in Luke 5. The rich young man was told to sell all he had and give to the poor in Luke 18. In Luke 12, we're told to sell our possessions and give to the poor. Zacchaeus gave half his wealth to the poor. The first visible demonstration that he, had, he was following Christ. Cool, can you imagine that? Come to Christ and give half your wealth to the poor. That might be a little bit of a bar for some of you know for us all to get over. Can you imagine? Not not just give half your bank account, half your possessions. This is remortgage time if you own a house. Wow. I mean that was an outworking of Zacchaeus. Why? Because he had lived and done injustice, and he was putting it right. What did Jesus say to the Pharisees? I mean, this is provoking. Um, hold on to your seats, grab hold of them, right? Woe to you, teachers of the law and the Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, coming. Basically, you tithe. So the Pharisees, they were spot on. They gave a tenth of everything they got in. They gave it to God. But you have neglected the more, Im- more important matters of the law. What are they? Praying? Worship? Attending Connect Group? Coming on a Sunday morning? Are they the more important matters of the law that they neglected? No, actually, they were pretty good at that stuff. The Pharisees had that pretty much nailed. But you've neglected justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. That's Jesus' words. How would, how would I do, Paul man? Paul man, how would you do? Jesus comes. If he's going to do a bit of an audit on my life, well, I've got the coming, I've got the herbs, I've got the tithing, I've got the worship, I've got a bit of prayer. What about the matters of mercy? Justice? And faithfulness. So what does it mean for us God's people? What does it look like for me? What does it look like for you? Where on earth do we start? This, and, and, and I know many of you are so much further ahead on this journey than I am. What, what, does, it, what does it look like? So often in the Bible, justice and poverty are linked together. Because it's those who are the most needy who are unable to find justice for themselves. There's a passage in Luke that I just want to apply into our situation, particularly for us as individuals. And Jesus is beautifully um, simple for us at this point. There's a situation where he's invited to a meal, Jesus, and uh, it's with all of the top notch of society there. The Pharisees, the lawyers, they're all there. And they're jostling for the place of honour at the top of the table. 
And Jesus turns to the host at the meal and he says this. The next time you put on a dinner, don't just invite your friends, family and rich neighbours. So it's not saying that you can't invite your friends, family and your rich neighbours. That, that is not saying you can't do that. Oh, by the way, this is out of the message and I think it's the ESV that's going to come up behind me. The kind of people who will return the favour. Invite some people who never get invited out. The misfits from the wrong side of the tracks. You'll be and experience a blessing. They won't be able to return the favour, but the favour will be returned. Oh, how it will be returned at the resurrection of God's people. In, in that culture, this, this type of meal was given in order to improve or promote social standing. It was in order to climb up the social spectrum. We don't really sort of do stuff that way. It's where deals were done. These meals were put on for self-promotion and Jesus turns it on his head and basically what he's saying is, don't, don't use these meals to improve your social status. Don't, don't put meals on and food on and just gather a whole group of people who are just like you that you like to spend time with, but open up your home, express hospitality, do justice to those around who probably won't invite you back. I mean, in some ways, this, these verses don't really need any explanation, do they? When you have a meal, invite your neighbours, invite your family, that's fine. But don't let that be the only people that you invite. Open up your home. Be generous with your time. Be generous with your resources. Come on, think about it. If Jesus was coming back to have Sunday lunch with you today, who would you invite? Family? Neighbours? People that were of standing in your, maybe your boss? Jesus says no. Yeah, Paul, you didn't. And if we only invite our friends for dinner, don't even sinners do that? If we only love those who love us, don't even sinners do that? And that's not who we are, is it? I, I feel so provoked by this passage. I fall so woefully short of the clear instructions in the Bible. Oh God, give me grace. Give us grace to live a different way. Counter-cultural. Where do you start? I'm, I'm, I don't think the place where we start is necessarily the person that is sleeping rough in the town centre. But I think there are people in our worlds that are on the fringe of our worlds that desperately need justice and desperately need your mercy and your kindness and your help. Maybe it's a colleague at work that just really isn't popular. You may even feel that they bring it on themselves. 
But you know where do you start? Mercy and kindness to them. Maybe it's the mum at the school gate who no one ever talks to and they always seem to be on their own. Maybe actually rather than just chatting to your group of friends, you leave them one one afternoon at three o'clock and you just walk across the playground and introduce yourself and find out a little bit about them. Maybe it's someone in your classroom. The kid that no one ever wants to spend time with for whatever reason, just because they're different and you think, you know what? I'm not going to live in fear and worry about my own social standing. I'm going to step out, even, even if actually I get spoken badly of because I've been kind to this person in the class. Where, where does it mean? Is it a neighbour down the road that actually you find really annoying, but I'm going to step out the boat, I'm going to go down the road and just try and express some sort of kindness to them? What does it mean to do justice In the end, individually, it means every single one of us allowing this word to seep into our hearts and actually bring life change. For many of us, we just need to repent and change how we're living and ask for the grace of God to live in a different way. That's where I am at. That's not for all of us. Many of you excel way beyond me in this. But for many of us, We've got in our own little ghettos of world where, yeah, we are friendly and we're nice, but we're generally nice to people like us and we're nice to people who are nice to us. That is not what the New Testament says we are to do. Oh, God, would you help us? I'm just going to quickly pray for us in this situation. Oh, God, please, would you shake us out of apathy? And, Lord God, would you ignite empathy within our hearts? I ask you. Lord God, would we not, I know it's warm and I know it's hard to concentrate, but I ask you, oh God, would the seed of your word plant in our heart and produce fruit 10, 30, 60, 100 fold what we're sowing. We do not want to be the same. Oh God, help us to live differently, we pray. Amen. What about corporately? That's an individual response. What does a corporate response look like? And, And our corporate response can never What we do together can never replace individual responsibility. Please don't sit back on your laws thinking, isn't it great that we're running a food bank? Isn't it great that we've got baby basics? Oh, we're doing justice. Don't, please don't rely on that. But I am convinced that as a church, we've got responsibility to make a difference. It's not an optional extra. It's a matter of justice. And I think God's people throughout the ages sometimes, sometimes have fallen into the trap of focusing on really important issues like worship and prayer and leadership and preaching and connect groups and fellowship and pastoral support, but they have ignored the weightier matters of faithfulness, justice and mercy. And I don't think that's who we are as a church. I think we have made massive strides forward in this area. Three years ago when we launched our anti-trafficking work, the local police sort of said, well, we don't think there is a need because we don't think human trafficking or modern slavery exists locally. Well, over the last three years, 300 people have been identified in that situation. And so that's something where as a church we've been able to engage with the authorities and make a real difference. TLG that we heard a little bit about earlier, that's a matter of justice. That's young people and children 
who have been born often into situations that are difficult. Maybe it's poverty situations, maybe it's experiences that they've faced. And the reasons that they are on the edge of exclusion is because they haven't had the input that they need. This is a matter of justice. So every child that we help, we are reversing injustice in order to make it better. Can you see? This isn't just charity. We do it and it's sort of, we can do it as an optional extra. This, This is important stuff that we are involved in. Cap. Christians against poverty, people that are getting stuck in poverty. And often it's people who have never been trained to budget. They don't know how to use a credit card. They've got trapped and caught in it. And the further they get stuck in it, the harder it is to get out of it. And often they're facing massive corporations who do have the lawyers and do understand how these things work. They need help in order to get out, in order to be able to live well. This isn't a matter of charity, it's a matter of justice. And we're playing a part in seeing some of this changed around. When it comes to our community action hub and what we want to do there, this isn't a matter of charity, it's about bringing justice to those who desperately need help. It's creating some dedicated space where we can serve the most vulnerable and the most needy as effectively as possible. Building a... Building a um, warehouse in order to store all the stuff that we want to give away for free that's pretty good isn't it give stuff away that people need it but also community space where we can build relationship meet people where they're at and it's not just about handing stuff out but it's showing people that there is a God who loves them and is passionate for them and cares about them not just spiritually but in a practical way and wants to help help meet their need where they are right now. This is a justice matter. We want to create a physical place where life change can really occur. Now over June... We ask you to pray and pledge. And I want to thank every single one of you who's done that because you have been massively, massively, massively um, generous to it. We are so very, very grateful to you for it. Over that month, you pledged and gave £93,666.83, which is absolutely incredible. I think it's amazing. Absolutely amazing. Um, But what makes it even more amazing is that was on the back of 81 pledges. Now, when you think we gather 500, maybe 5 to 600 across the three venues on any given Sunday. Now, I know there's a whole load of children in there and family units. That means, actually, that 81 pledges isn't that much. That's not that many. The money amount is amazing. But the number of pledges compared to how many of us there are isn't, if I'm honest, that great. And it's caused me and Steve particularly just to think and pray and go, where's it gone wrong? Why are there only 81 pledges when normally we'd expect twice that many in a time of giving? And I think we've come to the conclusion that June is a difficult month. People are here and they're away. We realised as well, and apologies for this, that we haven't communicated as well as we could have done. 
we should have communicated better. And even maybe on the back of this morning, some of you are thinking, oh, I get it a bit more, what this is about. I understand why that is. And I know for others of you, the reality is you just haven't got round to it yet. You're planning to, you just haven't done it yet. I'm absolutely certain that we should be looking to do the Community Action Hub. I am sure that it is the right way to go. Even though it's in the midst of planting venues and doing all of that, and you know, isn't it too much we've got going on? I just think it's the right way, and sometimes church life is just a bit messy. Anyone who knows me knows I'd much rather finish one thing before I start another. I just don't think we've been given that option. But the reality of it is, with the number with the number of pledges and the amount of financial provision we've got at the moment, we, we don't feel we've got a mandate to move forward. We're, we're so grateful for what's happened, but we're not free to move forward. If you haven't given yet and your heart is with us to give, please hear that. If you're with us in heart on this but haven't given yet can I ask you grab a pledge form they'll be on the table in the middle take it with you and just go home and pray about it if you've given but you haven't prayed yet about it thank you for the money but you've done it the wrong order go home pray about it seek God ask for provision and then ask and say God do you want me to be involved in giving into this financially? Do you want me to be part of the solution? And what myself and Steve would ask you to do is over the coming weeks to come back and when the normal offering bucket goes round, just pop the pledge form in the offering bucket, in the envelope, and buy in and give. That is what we would ask to do. If you're not with us in this, if you feel that this is the wrong way and we shouldn't be going that way, please don't give. We really don't want your money. But if in a sense, because of what happened in June, you just missed it. Then I would say, this is an opportunity over the next few weeks for you to stand with us and show us that you are with us um, in that way. Can I ask you to stand, please? And uh, can I invite the band back up as well? Can I read something from Isaiah just as I close? You may, I, I don't know, you may want to close your eyes, you may want to leave them open, I don't know. But just in a way where you can concentrate and connect with God. This is what it says in Isaiah 58, verse 6 and 7. Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and to bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. And if you spend yourself on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and he will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden. You will raise up age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. Father, I want to thank you for your word. That isn't always comfortable, but it is real.
Lord, and as we look at your word, we see that bringing justice to the most vulnerable and needy is right up, on, up there in your list of priorities. Lord, today we say we want to line ourselves up with your priorities. Even if at times it makes us feel uncomfortable. Even if it means we've got to go out of our way. Even if it affects how we spend our leisure time or who we choose to socialise with. Even if it knocks onto those things. We say, Lord, we want to be shaped firstly by your word and not by personal comfort. Lord, at times, would you shove us out of our comfort zones if that's what's needed so we catch a heart that is more in line with your heart? Oh, Lord God, would you come and do it, we say. We love you. We worship you. We thank you, Lord, that you came for us. Lord, you cared about justice and mercy, and you stepped in for us. We thank you so much, Lord God, for your goodness to us. Amen.